Well, welcome. This morning we've been uh, going through the book of Romans and uh, been excited about this and we're going to finish chapter one today. And uh, one of the things it's going to do is really help give us a picture of God, which I, I believe is a, is a right picture. Um, you know, easily, it, 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 it's often easy sometimes to read in the Bible and you kind of get a distorted picture of, of God and, and who he's like. And, and I think one of the pictures that we rightly have of God is, is that of a, of a patient God just waiting for his people to come to repentance. Just, just there waiting, just, just sitting passively. And, and, I, and I say rightly because there are passages of Scripture that speak of the patience of God in, in this way. Right? 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Just there's the patience of God as He waits for people to come to repentance. Even we're studying in, in Romans. Romans 2.4 says the kindness... And patience and forbearance of God is meant to lead you to repentance. That is, God is kind and he's patient, he's forbearing, he's long-suffering, waiting for repentance to come. God himself has said of himself that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, now that phrase, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, occurs in several psalms. Joel, the prophet said those words verbatim, that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Nehemiah said the same thing. Jonah said the same thing. And what that means is that that people sin and people are going their own way. God is one who's patient, who is slow to be angry, and he's abounding in his steadfast love. And it's right that we have this picture of God that he patiently waits for us. And, and that's really to say nothing of the 200 plus times that the word chesed is used. It's a Hebrew word for covenant faithfulness and fidelity to the Lord. It's, pronounced, it's translated steadfast love. It's translated loving kindness. It, it describes the, the covenant faithfulness of God, even when his people aren't always just so obedient it's his kindness, his patience, waiting for them. This all say nothing of the hundreds of times in Scripture where God is described as being merciful and graceful and gracious and loving. Listen, our, our God is a patient God, and he waits for people to come to repentance. And yet we can easily fall into error if that's the only sort of God that we have. Because there is a, another side of God. God is, God is a complex being. And um, when we have this picture of God being this all-loving, all kind Santa Claus in the sky, we can fall into some error because there are times when the patience of God runs out. Right? Patience means long-suffering, but there's a time when that runs out. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But, here it is, who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You say, when does God's judgment, when does God's patience run run out? When does it run dry? Well, certainly at the final judgment it runs dry. But there's also a judgment in life. When God will, will give up on people, will... Will let them go their own way. My message this morning is entitled, When God Gives Up. 
It comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. I invite you to take your Bible and, and open there. If you don't have a Bible with you, page 939 in the Pew Bibles, you'll be able to find it there. This is in the midst of a, a section in which the, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven upon people who know the truth and suppress it. And we're going to pick it up here in verse 24. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what things that ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I trust that you can see the, the repetition in the text this morning. I've just kind of put it all, all up there, what we have. And there are three times, some three key words come up here. God gave them up in verse 24. In verse 26, the same thing. God gave them up. And we see also in verse 28 that God gave them up. I, I trust that you can see why my title, my message this morning is entitled, When God Gives Up. Or when God gives them up. Or when God is done. Now before we actually begin working at the text, we need to see here the first word is a therefore. And that really, really points us back. We need, Paul is, we've caught him right in the middle of an argument. And his argument is strong. It is crucial. It's important. And you say, what did, what did, what did Paul say? Well, Paul said that God is known. Look at verses 19 and 20. For What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, and they are without excuse. See, God has made Himself known in creation. He's made His power known. He's made His deity known. It's been plain. It's been clear to all. And rather than worshiping God... They have turned their own way and they have sought their own wickedness rather than responding like we sang today. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made says I see the stars, I see the rolling thunder, I see thy power throughout the universe displayed and the right response is what then sings my soul, my savior, God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. And, and then even the second stanza says, And through the woods and forest glades I wander. See the brooks and see the gentle trees. It says, God, you are there. And I worship you. 
I give glory to you. How great you are. And rather than doing that, people have done, not done that. They have rejected God, the all-powerful one. That's what verses 21 through 23 speak about. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. See, rather than honoring the Lord as God, they took glory for themselves. Rather than giving thanks to God, they took everything for granted. Rather than submitting to the wisdom of God, they became fools. And rather than submitting to God himself as the authority of the creator, they exchanged him for their own gods. And God is known, God is revealed, and God is angry. That's what verse 18 speaks about. And verse 18 really governs all of chapter 1 from that point forward. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, see, they know God, but they've suppressed that knowledge and they've pursued their own sin instead. And so God's wrath is upon them all. And, and one manifestation of God's wrath is that he gives people up. He says, if that's what you want, go ahead. And as God gives them up in verse 24, and he, he give, gives them up in verse 26, and he gives them up in verse 28, it is, it is the wrath of God to let them sin and experience sin in all its fruits. See, God's wrath is the consequence of sin as they've turned away from God. But God's wrath is also the experience of sin. See, sin brings all types of hardness, of hardship and and difficulty. It brings troubles that you know not of. When you fail in areas, right? When your marriage is failing, it causes angst and difficulties and stresses and hardships. Or when you, you pursue something rather than your family, right? Loving the world rather than your family, you become, have some hardships there. If you sin sexually, there's hardships there. If you sin relationally, there's conflict and strife and there's hardship there. All, all over, right? Whenever you sin, right? When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And when you go your own way, there is the wrath of God that you experience. It's the wrath from sin. Now, those who reject the Lord are, are like a, a German shepherd on a leash. It's really a, a, a great picture of all of mankind. You see a German shepherd there just, just wanting, just wanting to pounce, struggling and, and tugging because they want something. And uh, you never know what a, a German shepherd might, might really want. But really, this is just a manifestation of wanting their sin. And unlike a German shepherd, we see sin. We know that it's wrong. People know that that's wrong. People know that they shouldn't do it. But they want it and they can't control themselves. And the only thing holding them back is God's gracious grip on the leash. This is a picture of of mankind. In that grip we might well call common grace. It's the grace of God that keeps us from pursuing all of our lusts and all of our passions and all of our desires unchecked. Because when we do that we would face... God's wrath, we would face the consequences of our sin. Let's just, let's just think about this picture. 
Because this, this is really reality. Supply of all mankind. God is, is at our back. And we desperately want our sin. We, we, we want it. But, but God's grace is holding us back. Keeping us and protecting of us. Now here we got a picture of a little squirrel on the screen. But picture some other things. And you might see well God's gracious hand. Maybe there's, there's a busy street there. But God is holding. The owner is holding the German shepherd back. From just running into the street. And getting crashed by a car. Or maybe it's a, it's a cliff and that squirrel is going to jump through and jump on this, this small branch and the, the dog's going to go and fall to his death. There, there's reasons why the owner would hold back the dog like that. Maybe the squirrel's really a lion in disguise. Something that looks small but really actually is big and will, will do the dog much harm. That's what God does in our lives. Many times he holds us back and he protects us. So we don't hurt ourselves too badly. But I'm telling you, this picture that we see up here, there are many people who don't think of God like this. There don't many who don't think of people like this. Many think that there are, are like many ways to God, and we're all like on this spiritual quest. Like, like where are we going to find God? And we're all just we're all just looking for God. But turn over to chapter three of Romans. In, in chapter 3, we see the conclusion of everything that he's getting at from chapter 118 on. Here's the big finale that we're going to get to in a, in a month or so. He says, what then? Verse 9, are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about particularly the Greeks here, those without the scripture in Romans chapter 1. We are under sin as it is written. And here he just... Paul just pulls up a bunch of litany of Old Testament passages. Look at this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. No one does good, not even one. And he goes on to list some sins. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. But look closely there at verse 11. No one understands, no one seeks for God. That's the picture here is that that God holds back. But we we aren't by nature those who are seeking God. We are by nature those who are who are away from God. As Ephesians 2 1 says we are children of wrath. It's Ephesians 2 3. I forget where it is. But we're we're children of wrath. We're born into sin. We are born wanting our own sin and wanting our own desires. The picture is that God holds us back. And the question that comes up, right? How can we be saved? We can only be saved if something changes. Only saved if something changes. If God works. We're only saved when God shows mercy and exerts his control on the wayward sinner and brings him to himself. Romans chapter 9 verse 15. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That, that God will, in His grace, in His sovereignty, have compassion to bring us back. But apart from God bringing us back, we'll, we'll be like what the dog is, what He does. 
And when God brings us back, we'll believe in him. And it will be accounted to us as righteousness, as it was. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And when we receive mercy, we'll turn and see that the gaze of the owner is far greater than the gaze of the world. But that's for another day. Today we're talking about what happens when God gives up. Because God does let go of some. I mean, that's the point of verses 24, 26, and 28. That He lets go. And this is what happens when He he lets go. The leash is let go and the Maybe there's some more sin, and here he comes again. And maybe there's some more sin, and he's coming in again. He's just going ravagely after sin, and that's what happens to people. And that's exactly what happens when God gives up. People go, and they pursue their own sin. Maybe that helps give some context to the hymn writer's hymns. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. There's the picture of the the love of God that's holding that won't let someone go to our own devices. Rather than striving against God, the believer in Jesus Christ is the one who cries out and says, Oh God, I know where I would go in my flesh. Hold me tight. I I rest in you. Or or as the hymn says, I think we sang last, last week, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's just placing our our help because God is the one who needs to take us and bring us back. And and the promise is there. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Because German shepherd though we be, God is stronger than us and will keep us and protect us and guide us. John 10, 27 and 28. And in hymns, speak this, right? How firm a foundation. Second stanza says, Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. It's the hand that will restrain from sin, that will keep and protect a believer. As John Newton said, amazing grace, his grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's God's grace in our lives. As we progress through Romans, we're going to see just the, the love of God that God has for us, and he keeps us and protects us. Like in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there's a love that God has for us that overcomes our desires to pursue sin with a passion. But there are those... For whom God gives up. And we see that beginning in verse 24. So let's get into the text here this morning. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And notice here that when God gives people over to their sin. He just lets them do as they please. It's one form of judgment. 
Not to inflict anything more on them than saying, okay, you got freedom. Go and do what you will. God God gives them up to the desires of their own heart. God says, if that's what you want, have at it. And then they begin to do things that ought not to be done. As it says there in verse 24, they, they dishonor their bodies. I'm not sure exactly what this means about how they dishonor their bodies, but there are ways that sin does dishonor bodies. The drunkard makes a fool of himself and does things that ought never to be done. The drunkard damages his liver. The drug addict loses weight and then loses a job, begins to steal in support of his habit. The meth addict, covered with sores and scabs from the itching. The promiscuous deals with the sexually transmitted diseases. And the porn industry takes that which is beautiful and transforms it into things that ought not to be done. And and in verse 25, Paul again goes back to this whole theme about how justified God is and just letting people go and dishonor them, their bodies because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Right? People know the truth and they hate the truth. They want their sin instead. They suppress the truth. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and they go and they serve the creature rather than the creator. And I just say... This is our culture. We have removed God from our culture. Oh, there are still some remains. And you still see it. And there's certainly churches. And there's, there's Christian presence almost everywhere in the United States. Though some places it's weaning. I was listening to a podcast this week of a, of a, a guy who a, was a pastor in, uh, in Tennessee, I think. And uh, then he planted a church up in New Hampshire. He's totally different. He said people in New Hampshire aren't Christians, and they know they aren't Christians. As opposed to in the Bible Belt, everyone thinks they're Christians. He said it was sort of refreshing because the clear line was drawn. But I, in New Hampshire, I mean, God is not there. We have exchanged God for man. Man is supreme in our culture today, not God. It's what we call secular humanism. It's the removal of God. It's the elevation of man to the top spot. And some say the Bible isn't relevant And this is amazing. This is the 21st century in America. We've loved our wisdom and not the wisdom of God. And we have dethroned God. Here's what I want you to notice. I'm going to emphasize this for these points. Is that it's not so much that this is what we have done. And then God is angry with us and the wrath has come upon us for our sin because we have denied God. Because we have exchanged the truth of God for, for a lie. No, what we have now is what God has let us do. In other words, the wrath of God is to live in a society without God. The, the wrath of God is to live in a society where we do our own thing. You know, all I hear about nowadays with the presidential election is like, oh man, what? Right? What, what to do? I just uh, two bad choices. I mean, you can always vote for a third candidate, and that's that's okay. Maybe you vote your conscience and vote for a third candidate. That's totally fine. But but you just see, it's like, is it is it morally? I, I've I've read enough stuff about is it morally okay 
to vote for the lesser of two evils. And regardless, I'm, I'm not going to answer those questions, but enough to say this. This may be the wrath of God upon us. So we've turned away from God and we've candidates who are godless. That's what it means to have the wrath of God upon a society. God gives them over. Well, let's go. When, when God gives up, He gives over to impurity. When God gives up, He gives over to homosexuality. That's what verses 26 and 27 are speaking about. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. See, when God created the world, he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God put them together and said, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. And we see here in verses 26 and 27 is perversion of the created order. Rather than a man and woman living in harmony and unity and one fleshness as God designed in the garden. We see men and women forsaking that created order. And women pursuing women and men pursuing men. And boy, we we see that in our society today. Roman, the Bible's not applicable. Amazing. Listen, right, and this is, this is nothing new. In the ancient world, homosexuality was abundant. Especially the Roman world to whom Paul was writing at this time. The, the commentators, the surprising thing is that he mentions women first. 26 and following. Men were predominantly homosexual in the ancient world. Much, much. But not, not women. We don't know much about women in a, a male-dominated society. But he mentions the women first. happened in the ancient times and it it's nothing new for our society as well it's been going on for quite some time this push for same-sex marriage and one of the things i i do a part of my preparation for preaching each week i listen to about five or ten messages on my passage every week chance i'm out walking i'm out driving just an easy form of study you can just listen to old pastors who are preaching these texts and some preach just a little bit small portion some preach a, a bigger portion like all of Romans 1 it just kind of saturates my mind with with things going on now one of the one of the guys I listen to is uh, Kent Hughes former co- pastor at uh, College Church in Wheaton Illinois he preached through the book of Romans in the 1980s I also listened to a guy uh, named Rich Kearns, who was the, the pastor of the church that planted the church that planted us and made a big impact on Avana's life. And uh, he preached the book of Romans in the 90s. And both of them just talked about the change in culture, the homosexual agenda coming in at that time. And, and they talked about how more and more the society was pushing And you just think about what's happened in the last 20, 30 years, right? Groups, legislation, curriculum, books, advertisements, movies, um, constitutional amendments, votes, court cases. All of this aiming at normalizing homosexual behavior and lifestyle. The campaign has been successful. After a long battle, about a year ago, it came to a head. June 26, 2015, United States Supreme Court ruled in the Obergefell decision. State-level bans on same-sex marriage are unconstitutional. We live in a society that is under the wrath of God, I believe. 
The laws of our land are described in 26 and 27. Women exchanging the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. It's just not natural. You can't reproduce that way. It's just not right to have two dads or two moms. And the men, verse 27, likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. You know, some, it's very interesting, try to deny homosexuality is a sin. In the church, they do that. So you go to the liberal churches, and um, um, by the way, what women's roles and differentiations fall first, and then they fall into homosexual, and then eventually, they, who, knows, who knows what they believe. Um, but there are a couple passages in the New Testament that speak also about homosexuality, and they try to deny those. They, they, they try to say that that's, well, just for promiscuous behavior rather than faithful same-sex relationships. And they try to do that mostly through word studies also sometimes. They try to say, well, that word doesn't really mean homosexuality. You can't do any word study here that gets around it. I mean, it is, it is here, plain as day. God describes his sin. In the Old Testament a lot, it still is sin in the New Testament. Notice what, what Paul calls it, what God calls it. He calls it, verse 26, dishonorable passions. He calls it, verse 27, shameless acts. That's what it is. Shameless, dishonorable. He says that those who practice such things receive in themselves the due penalty of their error. I have no doubt that HIV is a judgment upon those engaged in this behavior. As are other sexually transmitted diseases or just consequences or sin for engaging in wrong behavior. And again, okay, so so let's step back. Romans chapter 1, it's not that that homosexuality was the behavior and then God's angry for us and then judged us. He said we've neglected God and so God gave us up. And what's the way he gave us up? Homosexuality. Same-sex marriage is a judgment of God upon our land. And we need to deal with it in right ways. Our behavior is all around us and it's coming closer and closer all the time. Our family went to a football game on Friday evening, high school football game. Right before us, a few high school students, girls, who are putting some of this behavior on display. It's just dishonorable. It's shameful. We need to deal with it. We deal with it rightly. Now, it's interesting, when we get to this third point, I think it will give us some clue and insight into how to deal with it a little bit. So, let's move on. When God gives up, he gives over to impurity, to homosexuality, and I'm just calling this iniquity. Because there's lots of sin that he's going to talk about here. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Notice yet another detail of what takes place when God gives people over to their sin. He's talking here about, about the mind. When they, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't think about God. They didn't... They didn't honor him. They didn't praise him. So what does God do? Well, if your mind is going to deny me, God just lets our minds go. Isn't it amazing that God has control over our minds? Right? It says there, they did not see fit to acknowledge. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's because actions always start from the mind. But notice here, it's not merely our bodies that God lets go. 
See, when God's holding back the leash, we might think of that picture with the German shepherd, that just the, just the body, just the physical things that God is guarding, like a fence around us. But God also has control of our minds. And that metaphor of the German shepherd, even God has a leash on our minds and restrains it from traveling into all types of, of sin and fantasy of things that are wrong. And when God lets go of the mind, it's not pretty. With our sinful natures, we go into bad place. Those are sinful, wicked places. And we read of those places in 29 through 31, a whole litany of sins. Now, 21 of them to be exact. And, and, and here it's interesting, they're going to begin to hit home. It's easier for us to look at the sins of 24 through 27. There's all, well, that's what they're doing. And it's just out there. They're doing that, not me. It's not quite that simple. Because we see here in Romans 1 that there are sins that we do in verses 29 through 31. It's not just them. 29 through 31 starts hitting me and starts hitting us. So it's not, don't think about sins. It's either in the, the pre-wrath of God category or in the post-wrath of God category because they can span the spectrum. You can have homosexuality in the pre-wrath and in the post-wrath category. You can have impurity in one and you have, have it in the other as well and all iniquity is here. But that is to say, though, that some sin is the consequence and some sin leads up to the consequence, but primarily the consequence has to do with denying God, right? I'm pursuing my sin, it's an expression of my denying God, and God says, well, you want that? Well, I'll just give it to you in a greater way. Go ahead and, and have at it. So in some, reason, some regard, as we read this, these sins of 29 through 31, let's just understand that, that these are our sins and help give us perhaps some compassion on the homosexual world. Because it could be that some are entrapped here before God really lets them go with finality. Maybe, maybe they're here. And just like we might have sins of envy or haughtiness or pride, right? we, we have hope at the cross of Christ for that. And so there's hope there for homosexuals, hope for the impure of this world because they're not just one sin, one or more. But let's read these sins I just want to lightly comment on them. It doesn't, doesn't take rocket science to know all of these, right? They are filled. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That is, filled with all manner of, of wickedness. They are evil. That is, just doing wrong. Covetousness. That is, the craving for more and more. Malice is just a general badness. They're full of envy. That's, that's despising others for having something that you want. Often flowing from that comes murder. Fueled from that envy and that hate of killing one another. There's strife. The, the fighting and, and quarreling. There is deceit. Which is just trickery. There's maliceness. Maliciousness. Which is the desire to harm others. They are, are gossips. That is what they won't say in public. They'll gladly whisper in the ear. They are slanderers, meaning that what they shouldn't say in public, they say in public, falsely accusing people. They are haters of God. That's what Romans 1 is talking about. They know God, 
but they hate him. That's why they suppress the truth. This really gets back to the motive of why people suppress the truth. Because they hate God. They don't want a God of authority like that. They're insolent. That is, they, they lack respect. They are haughty. That is, they are thinking only of themselves. They are boastful. They are bragging of their own successes. They are inventors of evil, thinking new ways to sin. And boy, our generation has new ways to sin that previous generations knew not of. And there will be new ways to sin in the next generation. People always thinking about new and devious ways or things that can be done. They are disobedient to parents. Kids might hit you at some level. Parents might hit you at some level. Disobedient to parents are just despising those in authority over them. Whether it's parents, foolish, that is lacking understanding, being stupid. Because they exchanged the truth for a lie, professing to be wise, they became fools. Also it says um, that they are faithless, that is just not to be trusted. They're not faithful people, they're faithless people. They're heartless, that is without natural affection. They just don't have a heart. They are ruthless, that is they are, are cruel people. Now, there are some things here probably that you say, you know, that that's just that's just not me. Okay, but truth be known, there are seeds of of many of these things in our in our heart. We are haughty. We are boastful. We are heartless and faithless and foolish at times. But there is this, this overall, that's what society looks like when God gives them over to just a depraved mind. And I would say this describes much of our society today where there's fighting for this covetousness. There are evil plans and evil schemes. There are, are boastful people. Look at how good I am. Right? There's a haughty, haughty of mind. And there are foolish people in the world because everyone who denies God is foolish. There are people who are faithless in the world. Right? Their promises don't mean anything. They're just empty. And verse 32 really shoots it about as straight as can be. It says, Though they know, the ordin- they know, they know that God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. See, this is what happens when when God gives up people. He gives them every opportunity, but they don't want anything to do with God. And and where that line is and how God discerns that, I have no idea. But then he gives them over, and it says in verse 32 that, that they know God's righteous decree. And we're talking primarily about people who've just seen the creation of God and they know God's righteous decree. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. And they know that those who practice the wrong deserve to die. But they suppress that and they say, no, it's, we don't deserve to die. We, this is the way to life. You think about art people, right? This is expression. This is free expression. We can do this, right? They make up all sorts of, of uh, excuses. But God lets them go, pursue their sin. And verse 32 speaks about them seeking recruits to join them. Because it's always better to go to hell in a group. It's always better to sin with people because then you can say, hey, I don't look so bad. At least I'm not like Hitler. I'm not that bad, right? But I'm this bad, but not as bad as him. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. And then you get people in a group and maybe you get people who are worse than you. And then you can, misery loves company. Going that way, and just even think about the homosexual agenda. How much have they 
sought and forced even in America today. It's not tolerance that we would accept the homosexual, disagree with them entirely, disagree with their lifestyle, but support civil rights, right? Support them living where they are in peace and harmony so no one shoots them and kills them. Um, But rather than tolerance like that, today the tolerance is you must accept them. You must approve them. You must say that they are doing what is just fine. And that's what verse 32 is getting at. Though they know that such things deserve to die, they not only do them, right, but they give approval to those who practice them. They want to sin and they want others to sin and join with them. Well, I want to, I want to close my message by going to, to Proverbs chapter 1. Um, those of us who have been attending the prayer meeting each week, we just have a, a fighter verse from Bethlehem Baptist Church, right? We're fighting for our sanctification. And there are, are verses that, um, that we're just m- trying to memorize or just trying to pray through. Like we prayed through this morning, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll keep your path straight. It's a good verse for family worship for you all just to, just to have and read and think about. Maybe this week, read from Proverbs chapter 3 as we're, we're dwelling upon that thought. Well, this last week was Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. And I know that our family, we read through Proverbs 1 several times in this section here. But this so illustrates um, both Romans chapter 1, verse 32 and the whole context about God giving them over of just people teaming up. Look what it says here. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. In other words, right? treasure what your mom and dad say. My son. Verse 10. Son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If you're being enticed, don't consent. And then look at this, gathering around, and they're saying, hey, they know that it's wrong, but they're trying to gather others to their cause. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and like and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We'll have one purse. Right, there's, there's the attraction. Come, let's, let's do this evil thing. Let's lie in ambush. These are the gangs. Come, let's lie in ambush. It's going to be good. And we're going to have this one person. It's going to be a great thing. You get more people involved in it, then their sin doesn't look so bad. And Solomon's counsel comes back, verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. It's vain. Is a net spread in the sight of any bird? But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And, and what Solomon is doing is saying, no, look at their end. Their end is death and destruction. They're going to be caught. They're going to be captured. You try to, you try to take by violence and stealth, you're going to be taken by that same way. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword is what Solomon is saying. And that would be my counsel from chapter 1, verse 32. You know it's worthy of death. Don't gather others and don't give approval to other sins. But walk in the right way. Trust in Christ. And then, at this latter half of Proverbs 1, here we see giving up. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voices. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. 
How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And here's wisdom saying, hey, this is the right way. Listen to me. Go the right way. You'll have blessing. It's almost like God is saying, look, turn to me. Look into me and be saved all the ends of the earth. I am God and there is no other. Turn to me. And people are ignoring that and they're walking away. And wisdom in Proverbs, the same things. Verse 24. Because I've called and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored my counsel and would would have none of my reproof. Right, Because you've turned away from God, because you've turned away from my wisdom, I've stretched out, you've got it there, you didn't want it. He says this, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you, because it will, because you haven't followed the ways of wisdom. When terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. I will not answer them. They'll seek me diligently, but will not find me. Here we have people who... Wisdom was there, they had the opportunity, and they missed and they turned from that opportunity. And wisdom said, okay. And even later, right when they turned back, wisdom says, can't do, not now. And there's some parallel with that as well. There's something called the unpardonable sin, where you, you, you sin against God. People are, are, are turning against God. But, but I think in some regards here, we see all of mankind. They're, they're walking their own ways. They're pursuing their own paths. And yes, God is patient. Yes, God is kind. And where that line draws, we don't know. But God does give up to sin. And I, I'll, I'll just say this. You've had opportunity here today to see, right? Uh, we've sang. Right? Um, then sings my soul, how great thou art. We sang those words. But are those words just on your mouth or are they in your heart? Do you see the great splendor of God? And are you awed by that? Do you want to pursue after the ways of God? Or are you not? Are you after your own ways? You've heard the gospel. Just turn. Turn from your ravenous ways and turn back to God, your loving owner, who's going to be gracious and will bring you in. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be accredited as righteousness. You'll stand as righteous before him. And that's put out to you all. And I just encourage you to believe, especially you children. Believe, adults, believe. See your sin, turn from your sin and say, God, God, help me. Help me walk in the right way. Because left in your own strength, you're not going to walk in your right way. You know, C.S. Lewis summed this passage in Romans 1 up very well. He said, there are two types of people in the world. Those who pray to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. And I trust you be the former, not the latter. Because when God says, your way be done, it's going to be bad news. And you've been warned. And let's seek Christ when he may be found. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that we might... I'd see the, the frightening reality of hardness of heart and how quickly it can come. And it can happen so easily when we, we just want our own sin and pursue after our own sin. Father, I pray that you'd never give up on us. God, may we be those who, who seek you. God, and it's so easy. We simply need to turn to you. Simply need to look to you. We need to confess the errors of our ways. 
and profess our need for Christ. Father, I pray that this this message of Romans 1, that you are totally without excuse to condemn anyone to hell, God would stir us with a urgency, with an eagerness to preach the gospel. God, to preach the gospel to those who don't know Christ, even as I had the opportunity a week and a half ago to speak with a young man about how he needs to turn from his sin, how they're all sin, how, how he is a sinner, how he needs to turn from his sin, needs to trust in Jesus. Father, I pray that, that we would be about speaking that message, that we would see people come to Christ. I, I pray that you, O oh God, would work in the hearts. As you granted repentance to the Gentiles, God, I pray that you'd grant repentance here in Loves Park and in Rockford area, God, of those who need to turn from their sin to trust in Jesus. God, may Romans be rich with us. May it stir our hearts to the glories of the gospel. May we see the awfulness of sin. May we see the tremendous grace of God. Thank you for your days of patience. And God, thank you that you will be totally justified in the day of your wrath. We have no need to worry about that. But people need to turn. And God, I pray that even grant in this room today the souls turn from Christ, turn from their sin to Jesus, where hope may be found. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.